Section 21 of Gray's Anatomy, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Stearns. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 1, by Henry Gray. The Parietal Bone. Os Peritale. The parietal bones form, by their union, the sides and roof of the cranium. Each bone is irregularly quadrilateral in form, and has two surfaces, four borders, and four angles. Surfaces The external surface is convex, smooth, and marked, near the center by an eminence, the parietal eminence, tuber parietale, which indicates the point where ossification commenced. Crossing the middle of the bone in an arched direction are two curved lines, the superior and inferior temporal lines. The former gives attachment to the temporal fascia, and the latter indicates the upper limit of the muscular origin of the temporalis. Above these lines the bone is covered by the galea aponeurotica. Below them it forms part of the temporal fossa and affords attachment to the temporalis muscle. At the back part and close to the upper or sagittal border is the parietal foramen, which transmit a vein to the superior sagittal sinus, and sometimes a small branch of the occipital artery. It is not constantly present, and its size varies considerably. The internal surface is concave. It presents depressions corresponding to the cerebral convolutions and numerous furrows for the ramifications of the middle meningeal vessel. The latter run upward and backward from the sphenoidal angle, and from the central and posterior part of the squamous border. Along the upper margin is a shallow groove, which, together with that on the opposite parietal, forms a channel, the sagittal sulcus, for the superior sagittal sinus. The edges of the sulcus afford attachment to the falx cerebri. Near the groove are several depressions, best marked in the skulls of old persons, for the arachnoid granulations, pachyonian bodies. In the groove is the internal opening of the parietal foramen when the aperture exists. Borders. The sagittal border, the longest and thickest, is dentated and articulates with its fellow of the opposite side, forming the sagittal suture. The squamous border is divided into three parts. Of these, the anterior is thin and pointed, beveled at the expense of the outer surface, and overlapped by the tip of the great wing of the sphenoid. The middle portion is arched, beveled at the expense of the outer surface, and overlapped by the squama of the temporal. The posterior part is thick, and serrated for articulation with the mastoid portion of the temporal. The frontal border is deeply serrated and beveled at the expense of the outer surface above and of the inner below. It articulates with the frontal bone, forming one half of the coronal suture. The occipital border, deeply denticulated, articulates with the occipital, forming one half of the lambdoidal suture. Angles the frontal angle is practically a right angle, 
and corresponds with the point of meeting of the sagittal and coronal sutures. This point is named the bregma. In the fetal skull, and for about a year and a half after birth, this region is membranous, and is called the anterior fontanelle. The sphenoidal angle, thin and acute, is received into the interval between the frontal bone and the great wing of the sphenoid. Its inner surface is marked by a deep groove, sometimes a canal, for the anterior divisions of the middle meningeal artery. The occipital angle is rounded and corresponds with the point of meeting of the sagittal and lambdoidal sutures, a point which is termed the lambda. In the fetus this part of the skull is membranous and is called the posterior fontanelle. The mastoid angle is truncated. It articulates with the occipital bone and with the mastoid portion of the temporal and presents on its inner surface a broad, shallow groove which lodges part of the transverse sinus. The point of meeting of this angle with the occipital and mastoid part of the temporal is named the asterion. Ossification. The parietal bone is ossified in membrane from a single center, which appears at the parietal eminence about the eighth week of fetal life. Ossification gradually extends in a radial manner from the center toward the margins of the bone. The angles are consequently the parts last formed, and it is here that the fontanelles exist. Occasionally the parietal bone is divided into two parts, upper and lower, by an antero-posterior suture. Articulations The parietal articulates with five bones, the opposite parietal, the occipital, frontal, temporal, and sphenoid. The frontal bone, os frontale. The frontal bone resembles a cockle shell in form and consists of two portions, a vertical portion, the squama, corresponding with the region of the forehead, and an orbital or horizontal portion, which enters into the formation of the roofs of the orbital and nasal cavities. Squama, squama frontalis. Surfaces. The external surface of this portion is convex and usually exhibits in the lower part of the middle line the remains of the frontal or metopic suture. In infancy, this suture divides the bone into two, a condition which may persist throughout life. On either side of this suture, about three centimeters above the supraorbital margin, is a rounded elevation, the frontal eminence, tuber frontale. These eminences vary in size in different individuals, are occasionally unsymmetrical, and are especially prominent in young skulls. The surface of the bone above them is smooth and covered by the gilea aponeurotica. Below the frontal eminences, and separated from them by a shallow groove, are two arched elevations, the superciliary arches. These are prominent medially and are joined to one another by a smooth elevation named the glabella. They are larger in the male than in the female, and their degree of prominence depends to some extent on the size of the frontal air sinuses. Footnote. Some confusion is occasioned to students commencing the study of anatomy by the name sinus, having been given to two different kinds of space connected with the skull. 
It may be as well, therefore, to state here that the sinuses in the interior of the cranium which produce the grooves on the inner surfaces of the bones are venous channels which convey the blood from the brain, while the sinuses, external to the cranial cavity, the frontal, sphenoidal, ethmoidal, and maxillary, are hollow spaces in the bones themselves. They communicate with the nasal cavities and contain air. End footnote. Prominent ridges are, however, occasionally associated with small air sinuses. Beneath each superciliary arch is a curved and prominent margin, the superorbital margin, which forms the upper boundary of the base of the orbit, and separates the squama from the orbital portion of the bone. The lateral part of this margin is sharp and prominent, affording to the eye, in that situation, considerable protection from injury. The medial part is rounded, and at the junction of its medial and intermediate thirds is a notch, sometimes converted into a foramen, the superorbital notch or foramen, which transmits the superorbital vessels and nerve. A small aperture in the upper part of the notch transmit a, transmits a vein from the dipoi to join the superorbital vein. The superorbital margin ends laterally in the zygomatic process, which is strong and prominent and articulates with a zygomatic bone. Running upward and backward from this process is a well-marked line, the temporal line, which divides into the upper and lower temporal lines, continuous, in the articulated skull, with the corresponding lines on the parietal bone. The area below and behind the temporal line forms the anterior part of the temporal fossa, and gives origin to the temporalis muscle. Between the superorbital margins, the squama projects downward to a level below that of the zygomatic processes. This portion is known as the nasal part and presents a rough, uneven interval, the nasal notch, which articulates on either side of the middle line with the nasal bone, and laterally with the frontal process of the maxilla and with the lacrimal. The termination is applied to the middle of the frontonasal suture. From the center of the notch, the nasal process projects downward and forward beneath the nasal bones and frontal processes of the maxillae, and supports the bridge of the nose. The nasal process ends below in a sharp spine, and on either side of this is a small grooved surface, which enters into the formation of the roof of the corresponding nasal cavity. The spine forms part of the septum of the nose, articulating in front with the crest of the nasal bones and behind with a perpendicular plate of the ethmoid. The internal surface of the squama is concave and presents in the upper part of the middle line a vertical groove, the sagittal sulcus, the edges of which unite below to form a ridge, the frontal crest. The sulcus lodges the superior sagittal sinus, while its margins and the crest afford attachment to the fox cerebri. The crest ends below in a small notch, which is convert converted into a foramen, the foramen cecum, by articulation with the ethmoid. This foramen varies in size in different subjects, and is frequently impervious. When open, it transmits a vein from the nose to the superior sagittal sinus. On either side of the middle line 
the bone presents depressions for the convolutions of the brain, and numerous small furrows for the anterior branches of the middle meningeal vessels. Several small irregular fossae may also be seen on either side of the sagittal sulcus for the reception of the arachnoid granulations. Orbital or horizontal part. Pyrus orbitalis. This portion consists of two thin triangular plates, the orbital plates, which form the vaults of the orbits, and are separated from one another by a median gap, the ethmoidal notch. Surfaces. The inferior surface of each orbital plate is smooth and concave, and presents laterally, under cover of the zygomatic process, a shallow depression, the lacrimal fossa, for the lacrimal gland. Near the nasal part is a depression, the fovea trochlearis, or occasionally a small trochlear spine, for the attachment of the cartilaginous pulley of the obliquus oculi superior. The superior surface is convex and marked by depressions for the convolutions of the frontal lobes of the brain and faint grooves for the meningeal branches of the ethmoidal vessels. The ethmoidal notch separates the two orbital plates. It is quadrilateral and filled in the articulated skull by the cribriform plate of the ethmoid. The margins of the notch present several half-cells which, when united with corresponding half-cells on the upper surface of the ethmoid, Complete the ethmoidal air cells. Two grooves cross these edges transversely. They are converted into the anterior and posterior ethmoidal canals by the ethmoid and open on the medial wall of the orbit. The anterior canal transmits the nasociliary nerve and anterior ethmoidal vessels, the posterior ethmoidal nerve and vessels. In front of the ethmoidal notch, on either side of the frontal spine, are the openings of the frontal air sinuses. These are two irregular cavities, which extend backward, upward, and lateralward for a variable distance between the two tables of the skull. They are separated from one another by a thin, bony septum, which often deviates to one or other side, with the result that the sinuses are rarely symmetrical. Absent of birth, they are usually fairly well developed between the seventh and eighth years, but only reach their full size after puberty. They vary in size in different persons, and are larger in men than in women. Footnote. Aldrin Turner, The Accessory Sinuses of the Nose, 1901, gives the following measurements for a sinus of average size. Height, one and a quarter inches. Breadth, one inch. Depth from before backward one inch. End footnote. They are lined by mucous membrane, and each communicates with the corresponding nasal cavity by means of a passage called the frontal nasal duct. Borders. The border of the squama is thick, strongly serrated, beveled at the expense of the inner table above, where it rests upon the parietal bones and at the expense of the outer table on either side, where it receives the lateral pressure of those bones. This border is continued below into a triangular rough surface, which articulates with the great wing of the sphenoid. The posterior borders of the orbital plates are thin and serrated, 
and articulate with the small wings of the sphenoid. Structure The squama and the zygomatic processes are very thick, consisting of diploic tissue contained between two compact laminae. Diploic tissue is absent in the regions occupied by the frontal air sinuses. The orbital portion is thin, translucent, and composed entirely of compact bone. Hence, the facility with which instruments can penetrate the cranium through this part of the orbit when the frontal sinuses are exceptionally large, they may extend backward for a considerable distance into the orbital portion, which in such cases also consists of only two tables. Ossification The frontal bone is ossified in membrane from two primary centers, one for each half, which appear toward the end of the second month of fetal life, one above each superorbital margin. From each of these centers, ossification extends upward to form the corresponding half of the squama, and backward to form the orbital plate. The spine is ossified from a pair of secondary centers, on either side of the middle line. Similar centers appear in the nasal part in zygomatic processes. At birth the bone consists of two pieces, separated by the frontal suture, which is usually obliterated, except at its lower part, by the eighth year, but occasionally persists throughout life. It is generally maintained that the development of the frontal sinuses begins at the end of the first or beginning of the second year, but Onodi's researches indicate that development begins at birth. The sinuses are of considerable size for the seventh or eighth year, but do not attain the full proportions until after puberty. Articulations The frontal articulates with twelve bones, the sphenoid, the ethmoid, the two parietals, the two nasals, the two maxillae, the two lacrimals, and the two zygomatics. End of section 21. Recording by Jennifer Stearns, Concord, New Hampshire.